Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. One, it was like instant family, you know, three at once. And then we were living in a, a foreign country, right? So we didn't have... The, it was French speaking and I'd learned a little bit of French to survive and our kids didn't speak English either. So like we're also can't communicate really with them. Hey everyone. Welcome to Fatherhood. on the believe podcast network. I'm Bradley Hasemeyer. Each week, I bring you honest and hilarious conversations with men from all types of backgrounds. But at the end of the day, we all just want to be better dads. Question. Would it be easier to have kids in another country where they speak the language, but you don't? Or have kids come here to America where you speak the language, but they don't? Only Nick Runyon, founder of the Archibald Project, can answer that one. But first... Hey, attempters, and welcome to the world premiere, world premiere, world premiere, world premiere of season four, four, four. I'm giving my own echo there. I'm my own hype man or woman, whatever. It's not a guy or girl kind of thing. It's season four of Attempting Fatherhood. Can you believe it? We are back and better than ever. Now, listen, I talked about in last week's episode all the things to get excited about for this season And basically it's this, bigger guests, better stories, and now we're on YouTube too, YouTube too. It just sounds funny to say. As you know, I like to share a little bit about myself and what's going on in my own dad life, just to, you know, kind of be able to connect with you guys more, bring you in on what's going on on my side. I'm not just a beautiful face with a crazy voice talking to you. You'd see my face because now we're on YouTube. Enough about that. I like to say that, you know, some of the big stuff that we're working on, I want to bring you guys in on because maybe you're going through it too or maybe you have and you can offer advice. Totally open to that. Right now at our house, I need patience. That's what I need. I need patience with my two-year-old son, Loic. Loic is hilarious. He is passionate and I am truly honored to call him my son. He's also been throwing a lot <laughs> and hitting and becoming a picky eater and all the things that two-year-olds do, all that crap that they do. And, you know, we've been doing things on our end to try to help him, you know, call out his emotions, very Daniel Tiger theology, if you will, especially when he's angry, right? Because, you know, he doesn't really know. A lot of times I can tell he literally cannot stop himself from swinging an arm or throwing something. The second it comes out, you can see on his face, almost like if you if if you know somebody who just can't help themselves from kind of saying things that are inappropriate or they don't need to be there. Right as it comes out, they're like, I shouldn't have said that. Right as he throws it, he's like, I shouldn't have thrown it. And you can see he knows that. So we're trying to help him before he gets to that. Right. And we know like his young brain doesn't really remember consequences for something that he did two days before. Right. So one of the things we're working on right now are instant consequences. We read about, I can't remember the name of this. There's an Instagram account. I'll link to it. But their example was, let's say a kid throws his car against the wall or the TV, which thank God did happen. No, thank God it, well, it happened, but thank God the TV didn't break. Of course the car didn't break, but the TV, I was like, what did you, oh man, that was a moment. (laughs) That was a moment. So let's say something like that happens. Instead of saying no ice cream tonight at dinner, not that we do ice cream, but no, you know, like nothing in four hours from now, you'll receive the punishment. But it's, you say something along the lines of, oh, wow, looks like you're frustrated right now. And that car is not helping you. 
I'm going to take it away because this isn't safe behavior and you can get it back later. So there's there's kind of that's what we're working on there. And it's working. It's doing well. It's it is baby steps. It's two forward and one back, but it is working. Anyway, these are the things we did not deal with when it came to Ellis. Ellis is quiet and loved to paint. <laughs> Loic is loud and loves to hit things. Uh, her big thing was sticking up for herself and being kind to herself. We taught her, be kind to people, be kind to people. And then she kind of became a doormat. So she's worked through that, obviously, and she's done so much better. But that was something we were dealing with. That was a whole different type of parenting. And, and a lot of the dads I talked to, they're like, you parent each kid differently. And man, it is so true. We were really seeing that on the front lines. And I got to tell you, there's there have been some days, especially recently, like, whoa, whoa. It's just got me like, I need to tap out of this one. I need to walk around the corner get a breath, remember what's going on. I just, uh, man, it's just, it's been hard. It's been frustrating, not hard. There's a lot of people out there that have things worse. You know what I mean? But that doesn't mean that we can't also say, you know, it's been a struggle. But what's been really cool in this is really relying on some of those conversations I've had with dads in past seasons and some of the ones that'll be coming up in season four to know they are just as annoyed as I am, just as frustrated as I am. And that's probably you as well. And that is helpful to me and hearing how they deal with it, whether that's kids at two or it's 16-year-olds who think that they're invincible and they drive their cars fast and they get tickets, like whatever is going on, there are other dads going through it with you. And to me, that is so helpful. So that's why Attempting Father is here, right? That's what I hope. Anyway, okay. Make sure you are following us on Instagram at Attempting Fatherhood, and I'll link to our YouTube videos, uh, to the YouTube channel, rather, to watch this interview if you're so inclined. Today, yes, season four, episode one, I'm talking with Nick Runyon. Nick is an airline pilot who has become a business owner and his business, this is really cool, is called The Archibald Project. They are an orphan advocacy group and they focus on the media side. So they're creating stories, they're making videos, which helps bring awareness to adoption and to orphan crisis and the like. In fact, I found The Archibald Project when Kirsten sent me a video that Archibald Project had created about an adoption and we watched one of their mini docs. So I was already a fan of what Archibald was doing and then I realized, oh, Nick seems like a really cool guy. He's been married for about 12 years. We talked about how tough uh, infertility was for his family, for he and his wife, uh, how intense that got and how brutal, his word, brutal it was. Eventually that led them to adoption. They were already involved in that world, but they decided, yeah, this is the right time to do that. Then it went from no kids to three kids all at once from the Republic of the Congo. So it's a crazy story there. He talks about they moved there for seven months. They didn't know the language. The kids did, but they couldn't talk to the kids. They could not speak to the children in their own house. I mean, (laughs) talk about frustrating that that would be super frustrating. We talked about that process and the process of adoption for for so many people. And if you don't know anything about adoption, this is a great intro course. And if you do, I think you'll really vibe with a lot of what we talk about. We also talk about the universal struggle of getting our kids to go to sleep. Unbelievable. Tommy, just go to sleep. Please just shut the door and go to sleep. And he shares a helpful tip. Of course, he wraps it up with some beautiful dad advice and some encouragement. But you know what? Enough of me. This week, Attempting Fatherhood is Nick Runyon. I have a couple things to check as well. No, I actually, I, uh, 
this is kind of creepy sounding, but I was bored one day on Instagram. And this so is a I great searched, way to start a conversation. Yeah, I searched <laughs> other Nick Runyons. Okay. And I found this guy that like lived in Dallas and I'm in Austin. Felt like we had some of the same interests and stuff. So I started following him okay. and liking his posts because I wanted, I was like, oh, maybe like <laughs> this guy will follow me back. I'll have this funny relationship. No, he didn't. He doesn't respond care. Or follow back or anything. And then I Nothing. just looked creepy. Yeah. <sighs> and then we randomly got connected uh, like a year or two later on LinkedIn because somebody thought like I was on someone else's podcast and one of his friends was like, you were on this podcast? And he's like, no. <laughs> and then he looked it up and he found out it was me. So did, did so. he actually say hello there or he just like he just connect and then didn't didn't even like human interact? No, no, he connected. He was nice, but okay. There's not. Did been you much call him out from there? Did you call him out for ghosting you on IG? No, I didn't. Uh, I should. That was your chance. I didn't want to scare him away, though. I yeah, you don't want to start gonna, a relationship that way. That's true. Yeah, I thought it was going to blossom into this beautiful <laughs> Nick Runyon relationship. Nick Runyon, thank you for being on the show. I want to make sure everyone who's listening knows. Your hair looks amazing right now. Your hair is like swoopy and whoopy, and it's everything that that men want. So congratulations to you for Thank that. Thank you. Thank you. I'm like the modern day Uncle Jesse from Full House. Just like it's amazing. What is that? Is has someone else said that to you? Because that's an amazing, just like uh, like a, a moniker to hold on to. No, that's just like the only uh, relevant from maybe our age that I like reference that I know of someone who like always had like swoopy great hair and yes. all that. Uh, there was a yeah. guy named Ryan Moffat. I doubt he's listening to this, but if he is, Ryan, I always wanted your hair in high school. My hair was like really kind of curly uh, and his was just this like, it's like yours. It's amazing. It's wavy and long. all the girls were like, ah. he's also really good at baseball. <laughs> so, you know, the, of the course. social uh, currency is, is athletics in a lot of schools and it wasn't ours too. So he had a lot of um, currency as it were. But uh, yeah, so you're, you're looking do, dope. Just want you well, to thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Um, we got connected because uh, through Archibald Project, which I'll, I'll let you yeah, talk about in a second. Because you gave me money. We got connected through that. Well, we got connected because I donated. <laughs> we donated you, but because yeah. you guys had made the 48 hour video with Dom uh, yep. about adoption. And we were, we were kind of vacillating between domestic and, and international as we decided to adopt. And watching that was so helpful for us for understanding the birth mom side of things. Yeah. Uh, and the whole concept absolutely. of triad and all that. And we were able to send that video out to our family and to our friends to give them a perspective like, Hey guys, you know, there's a lot of retooling that needs to happen in the understanding of adoption. And, and this is a great start. So that's kind of how we got connected. And you didn't even know it. It was like me following the fake Nick Runyon <laughs> that you were following. You didn't, you didn't right? even know. <laughs> I've been following you. Man, you I love that. Know. And I'll, I love that you guys shared that too. Cause I mean, that's why those resources are out there and I've gotten so much cool feedback from that film that we did of f like just the full spectrum of like the stories that you're saying, passing it on to like, uh, social workers using it in, um, different aspects to train their families. And then even like, people like kids who were ad adopted or went through that same situation being finding healing with their own birth family from seeing that story. Wow. 
I mean, probably yeah. so much more impactful than you ever would have imagined. Like, let's just document oh, this for see sure. what happens. Oh, way beyond, way beyond what I could have imagined. And it was not, I'm, it was a total God thing and my wife as well. Like I, we told this story on our podcast, but I like to see where stories are going when I get a plan in my head, when it gets like thrown off course, I get really frustrated. And like yep. when we showed up for this story, it did not go at all. Like I was planning, like we missed half the stuff that I was planning on shooting. Like the mom had already had the baby and the, they had already, the, adoptive family had already met the baby for the first time. And I was like, this is all at the door. Let's just go. And my wife was like, no, we got to stay here and do this. And I got mad at her and like slammed the car door and swore a little bit and then eventually came back and shot it. And then what unfolded was one of the more beautiful stories we've been able to tell. I think that is so powerful. And, and that element of being open, I think is something I'm learning in my, as I, as I get older, just the, the power of just being open to what's going on around me instead of this preconceived notion of it needs to be this way, it needs to be that way. Well, let's start with some dad stats here. I am just turned 38 and I've been married for, gosh, I didn't think I would be the guy that would forget how many years, but <laughs> I think it's 12 and I'm not confident in that right now. All right, all um, right. roughly 12, but, we'll put yeah. about in yeah. front of it. Yeah, got married in 2009. The listeners can do the okay. math. I'm not gonna do it right all now. Right. So yeah, I think we're coming up on 13 this year and we, actually went through quite a few years of infertility, my wife and I, and we never really did anything about that. We, but we were also very immersed in this world of orphan care and vulnerable children. And so we kind of felt like for our family, and I'm not saying this is for everybody uh, or the right choice for everyone, but we felt that if we were gonna spend money on a family, instead of treating infertility, we were going to look into adoption. And what yep. that culminated into was that we did adopt, but uh, we tend to do things really extreme. And so we ended up adopting three kids at once. And uh, yeah, from the Republic of the Congo, which we actually met our children through a, a trip that we did, like a work trip we did to Congo back in 2015 was the first time we met our children, but adoption wasn't even on our radar. And then we didn't end up adopting them until 2018. So how old were they then, I guess, when you finalized yeah, the adoption? So when we, we, the short story is that we uh, got matched with them. And then we, once we had legal guardianship in country of them, because we could run our nonprofit from pretty much anywhere, we decided to move there and take guardianship, almost like foster care in country. So we moved to the Republic of the Congo in May of 2018. And then we lived there with them until we could finalize the adoption and come home. And that took till December of 2018. So it was about seven months that we lived in the Congo with them. And now we've been home for a little over three years. And in the term of infertility, it feels like there's so many more people now who are experiencing infertility, but at the same time, is it just that we're more aware of it because people are being more honest about it? There's more places for that to go to speak about it. Social media. Was it real tenuous? Like, was it, was there a lot of tension? Like, why can't we get, oh, we're just trying everything we can do. It was, it, it was brutal for sure, to be totally honest. And I think it's, it's one of those things that I think, which I've not experienced this, but I can imagine it's like when someone goes through a miscarriage, Yeah, you hear about it and you're like, oh yeah, because you hear about it somewhat commonly, but it's totally different when you go through it and you develop new empathy for people and the pain that they've dealt with and things like that. Mm -hmm. So 
it was tough. And like, I will say too, we didn't, I, I wouldn't say that we adopted because of infertility. Like that was not necessarily how the story went. Um, but it was what happened, I guess. I don't know. That's the best way to describe yeah. it. Like we yeah. weren't, we weren't even actively like trying to start a family. We were still kind of in debates about how we would do that. And there was fights and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And then this, someone actually came to us and was like, Hey, this sibling set of three had, they were matched with a family and it fell through and they were looking for a family and they weren't even asking us about that. They were just saying, Hey, will you guys pray for oh, a family wow. for them? Cause we were going to okay. come and do a work trip for this organization. And that's yeah. for the first time when we were on the same page that my wife and I were like, well, you know what? Like maybe we could do this. Like maybe it's wow. time. And that's kind of how it came about. And just like as a disclaimer, whoever's listening out there, there's a lot of debate and issues with international adoption. And like we are aware of those and no one was trying to sell us their their baby or anything. And there was like we, we as much as we could, went through all the ethical research and practices and were matched with a organization that was very well versed in that. So this was not like a flippant. We need a family for this. These kids. Totally. I, I think that's, gosh, I, as we've gotten deeper into the adoption world, I've learned of just so much, um, con- controversy is not the right word, but there's just so much nuance and there's so many, uh, you know, elements to it that it seems so cut and dry. Um, but the reality is that's not, anytime you're dealing with something of such heightened emotion and, uh, you know, eternal consequences, you know, these people's, these are people's lives. There's going yeah. to be, you know, so many different um, you know, elements to it and the complications and all that kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, even like there's the, the conversation around international orphan care and adoption and stuff is, is changing. And, you know, like for so long it was like, Oh, if the kid is labeled as an orphan, that means they don't don't have any parents when in reality, I mean, 80% of kids living in orphanages actually have at least one living parent or relative, which is crazy to think about. So, how that does means that happen? That, is it just that they don't get in touch with them or they just, those, uh, those people are poverty. Poverty is yeah. a huge part of it. I mean, there's multiple factors, you know, but poverty I would say is the main one. And yeah. so, you know, you've got to, if you're doing an international adoption, you have to really be sure that you're the child that you're pursuing needs to be adopted because there's money that's exchanged. And anytime that happens, there's corruption, there's trafficking, there's people trying to take advantage of people, which is terrible, but um, just means you got to be, have due diligence in your process for sure. It's like this, this struggle, struggle, struggle. And then you're just like, Oh, okay, that, let's do that. How long was that process from like the, we say, okay, to, um, going over there and living there for a few months? Oh my gosh. I, that's a whole nother story too. I, there's a little bit of time, but like there is, my wife comes to conclusions on things very quickly and yeah. I would have taken like a, <laughs> a year or two. Yeah. I'd yeah. still be thinking about this yeah. currently. Well, I don't and know. So, we should consider the inflation policies yeah. of the current. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I would say we came to a conclusion of we're going to do this in a time that was 
too fast for me and probably too uh, slow for her. So we kind of met in the middle okay. and then we went and we did uh, kind of a bonding trip with them and then came back, finished our paperwork. So that was in fall of 2017 wow. and then came back, got the rest of the stuff done until we could move there. And that was in uh, May of 2018. So it's pretty quick, that's, which normally the, the, the process would be longer, but yep. because we were in country, we could take custody of them. But normally right. you, people, and depending on the country, people wait years and years sometimes. All right. So you go from, uh, you know, a fairly quiet house of just you and your wife. Maybe she's loud. I don't know, but at least a little more manageable <laughs> to all of a sudden, you know, we need a table for five. What's been one of the biggest surprises of, of uh, fatherhood for you? Oh man. Um, that's a good question because you're really not going in this, even in the non-traditional sense of adoption, I would say that's fairly non-traditional currently, at least you're not even worried. Like you're not doing diapers. You're not, it was because they started at four. So it's like, you're missing out on that part, which frankly, I'm not a huge fan of anyway, that beginning of like, we need seven bags for this thing that weighs, you know, three pounds. Uh, hopefully more than that. that, that would be a problem. But, um, <laughs> you know, this concept of like, did we just so much gear to keep this thing alive and to keep it going as bottles are going to wake up in the middle of the night. Gonna do this. And I don't know if your experience was like this, but with me, before I became a dad, it was like, you're going to be a great dad. You're going to love being a dad. Oh, you're going to make the best. Dad. You're going to have so much fun being a dad. Being a dad is the best. It's the best job in the world. And I got into it and was like, this is crazy. No one told me these things. Like, <laughs> this is not awesome. You're like, you're like, what am I doing wrong? Cause this is not as fun as it sounded. Exactly. Maybe I'm broken because this experience seems siloed into like not awesome right now. Uh, and certainly there's been moments of amazingness, you know, and, and as my kids get older, I, I find that more exciting and, and love being a dad even more. But, you know, for you, just boom, you just drop, boom, dropped in. Here's three. What do we do? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, that's part of it is, is our experience was so different in a lot of senses in that one, it was like instant family, you know, three at once. And then we were living in a, a foreign country, right? right? So right. we didn't have that it was French speaking and I'd learned a little bit of French to survive and our kids didn't speak English either. So like we're also can't communicate really with them, which is like a baby. They learned quick. Like that was one thing that was crazy is how fast they picked up English and like just ways that we figured out how to communicate. But then, you know, just even we had lived abroad before, so it wasn't totally out of our comfort zone, but I mean, just everyday things like going to the grocery store are so different and your mother, mother mother-in-law can't come over and help babysit for a while. And so, and then support of that and, you know, initial family. Yeah. And I mean, kids that are separated from their family of origin, I mean, there is deep, deep trauma that comes with that. And you just dealing with those things is tough and it's not their fault, but like there's a huge learning curve for both of us over there of how like just becoming a family. And I, I would think about your, to your original question though, I think typical things like I never realized how hard it was to get kids to go to bed. Like that was just <laughs> like, oh, I think every dad, it was no never matter. ending. No, it's never, never ending. ending. Yes. Every yeah. dad and mom uh, can understand that. That's such a strange concept is foreign to, it doesn't matter where your kids are from, how they've come into your life. Kids yeah. just go to bed. Come on. What did you do to, what did you do to overcome this? What, what is your tip for, for our dads out there? They're like, yes, help me get my kid to bed. 
Melatonin. That is my tip. That's <laughs> go to the drugs, baby. Go to yeah. the drugs. That's good. Uh, yeah, that's about all I've got because nothing, nothing really works. And yeah. as soon as you figure something out, something out, it, it changes. So that's something no one told me about fatherhood. I figured I would kind of figure it out. You know, maybe one year in, two years in tops, and like I would have it, like working at a job. You're like, okay, this is my job. I move these papers over here. I hit this stamp button and I push it on. Like it took me a couple years to figure that out, but now we're good. And then someone comes in and goes, we're redoing it all. New computer system. (laughs) Now the paper has to go from the right to the left. If it doesn't, this little thing in front of you is going to start crying. Like what? Yeah. The strawberry is too small. It's a strawberry. It's going in your belly. Why does it matter? I wanted to talk a little bit about Noom. Noom uses the latest in behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching on their platform and to help millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. Now, a lot of people, of course, face pressures to change themselves, to fit other people's expectations. And the reality is the more freeing solution is to find what works for you, right? That's what Attempting Fatherhood is all about. What works for you? Noom understands that everyone's weight loss journey is unique, and what works for someone else doesn't mean it'll work for you. That's why Noom's approach adapts to your lifestyle. It's flexible. It focuses on progress, not perfection, allowing you to work toward a goal at a pace that's comfortable for you. Noom Weight makes it easy to start your weight loss journey and stay on track with personalized lessons to help you gain confidence and practical knowledge, one-on-one coaching, which obviously is extremely helpful, and a cognitive behavioral approach that teaches you how to be mindful of your habits. Listen to this. 75% of Noom Weight users finish the program, and more than 60% of the users that engaged with the program kept the weight off for a year or more. That's a big deal. So start building better habits for healthier, long-term results. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash believe. Again, that's noom, N-O-O-M, dot com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. All right, back to the show. Uh, Was it harder when you were there without family around, but it was still kind of their original home or was it harder once you came back to America and you guys assumedly had more support, but they would feel really out of water? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I think that they were hard in different ways. Mm. And I don't know if I could say if they were equal or not, but all those things that you just said, yeah, being over there alone was really hard. But then at the same time, after so much time there, like seven months, we got to the point where, you know, we weren't, like killing it or anything or doing great, but you're kind of your own little pod. You don't like you figured out your rhythm to a degree and you're, you don't have any other outside influence that much. And then you go home and everything changes and it's great to have friends and help, but it's, it just expands that circle of influence. And do you trust this per can this person handle this just fresh, you know, never dealing with your children come in and watch them and be okay. I don't know. And there's stress with that. And then, you know, we wanted to go out and be social right away. Cause we hadn't had deep friendships for what felt like so long, but then our kids weren't ready for us to go out and do that. So then that was hard on them and it would create more problems at home when we would leave, which again, not their fault. Like they're trying to work out this whole new life. Right. Um, so yeah, just figuring out that rhythm and balance. I think it took 
both both places had a really big learning curve i would say mm. yeah you know i would imagine on so many levels I, I think personally if if i were thrown into those situations i think the coming stateside would be harder because of what you were just talking about you know like with loic there's there's something in him subconsciously that you know there is you know this pre-womb trauma is a real thing people don't really consider this this idea that they're you know you know kids are evolving in the womb they, they don't mm-hmm. go from non-existent until they're born and there's existence there's some kind yeah. of mental capacity and things that are moving forward there and so you know for him separation anxiety massive ellis didn't care and that was also yeah. coupled with covid and I know there's a lot of dads oh, out there that had babies during COVID or right around COVID. And, you know, for Ellis, by the time she was Loic's age, too, she had she had more Delta Sky Miles than I did until my 20s. You know, right. she was like, we were giving her to neighbors and going out to dinner and she was coming to dinner with us. And we're going bowling at 11 o'clock for my friend's birthday party. Ellis is coming with us. You know, there was yep. just this like this social um, adaptation that was built into her early childhood. Whereas Loic, not only coming from his own unique background, but we were a family unit, like you were talking about. And we had to move as a family unit. We traveled together. And there weren't a lot of other people who came into the mix because everyone was, you know, let's be careful and we don't want to get sick and we can't really travel and all this. And yeah. so, you know, I can imagine that some dads could, uh, could, if you've had a baby within the past couple of years, that connection of like, I just want to go and be social, but my, my kid's not used to this yet. And there is that separation anxiety. I imagine it's multiplied by a child who is, has gone through trauma of separation multiple mm-hmm. times and, and all that. So I just think, wow, that must have been, do you feel like you've kind of come out of that? It's been a couple of years or is that still something that, that is in the psyche of your children that you're kind of dealing with? They have come so far in such a short amount of time. I mean, the amount of healing that they've experienced and i mean they're just awesome kids right but i do see things that i think are still trauma and as as far as i understand about it from the studying that i've done that i mean it could be with them the rest of their life you know just like there's things from my family of origin that i still carry with me now that are somewhat traumatic and my hope is just that they will be able to have healthy habits around those and be able to I don't say, I don't want to say deal with it, but like, yeah, yeah. Just be able to function with those and we can hopefully teach them how to, um, you know, move and relate to people within that space. Having the right tools, right. This is going to be a Mm -hmm. part of your life. So let's, let's get you with the appropriate tools to be able to deal with it. I mean, people feel, you know, face anxiety for instance, all the time. And you're not just going to be not anxious ever again but you're going to have mm-hmm. the tools to be able to either assess a situation, talk yourself down, coach yourself up, whatever. There's going to be these elements. So I think it's somewhat, but in a lighter way, uh, kind of, kind of uh, equatable to that. With your guys's adoption. Now you had a, a biological child first, right? Yes. Yeah. So we had secondary infertility is, is what it's been called. Okay. Oh, I didn't realize that. We had Ellis pretty early on in our marriage. We got married 30 and 31 couple years later, Ellis came along and then we were like, let's give it a couple years. And then uh, we were trying again. Nothing was happening. Then we moved to Phoenix. Uh, I was hosting a show there and then we tried there. Nothing was happening. And they were like, "Okay, we've just moved to New York. You know, I don't want to I don't want to hit like day one and you're pregnant. We don't know where the trains are. So let's give it some time. 
tried there. Nothing was going on. So adoption for us, maybe similar to you, was was not necessarily the response to that. It was we wanted adoption in the mix. Once we got married, we knew adoption would be a part of our story. But our version of when that timing would happen was was later. Um, yeah. And so we were just like, well, we're getting older <laughs> and nothing's happened and nothing's changing. So let's let's now divert our focus to uh, to adoption. So that's kind of yeah. how that process began. Uh, this is something I've always been curious about because we you know, we didn't have kids previous to having our own kids. So like our experience was just what it was, mm-hmm. but I can imagine it's different going from having a biological child to an adoption process. And I wondered if that was a, um, something that you guys experienced in very different ways with your, with your children. Yeah. And, and I think, so we also have a 26 year old foster through kinship daughter who lives in LA. Um, she came oh my on gosh. board. Yeah. We've got, we got like one of each. We're checking all the boxes, man. Um, and she came on board through Kirsten because Kirsten was her mentor through big brothers, big sisters for 10 years. She turned 18 and, and we wanted her to come and live with us. So she came and lived with us. Um, Can I just say real quick, like that's amazing. I mean, in the work that we do with the Archibald project, we've yeah. really dug into foster care. And I think people forget that once a kid gets older, you still need that support system. Even if you're out and independent, like just to have a place that you can call home or someone that you know is there for you if things go wrong is so huge. And like, what a need. I just, I love that you guys are doing that. Yeah, and you know what? It was it was so similar to your situation where it was like, we weren't looking for that, but yeah. the opportunity came up and you know, she was 18, so she's not legally, uh, she was an adult. She wasn't legally uh, a foster child. But we uh, we were both just kind of like, maybe, maybe that makes sense to kind of bring her in. And, and she was already kind of a part of our family just through her relationship with Kirsten. And so kind of made it more official. And, you know, we helped her through, you know, a bunch of stuff. And, and you know, and, and we learned so much. I mean, she's like a Ph.D. class in just uh, in in um, overcoming obstacles trauma, mm. um, just so many things. So we have, yeah. we have Ashley, uh, we have Ellis biological mm-hmm. first child, and then we have Loic. And so okay. at one point I moved to Phoenix to host a show and Kirsten had Loic, sorry, Kirsten had Ellis at 18 months and Ashley at 18 years and was solo parenting both of them. And <laughs> it was funny because you know, she had oh to travel gosh. back and forth. I could fly in for the weekend, but we were shooting Monday through Friday. And uh, Kirsten the other day was like, uh, the hardest time in our life was during Phoenix, that first year of Phoenix, because they eventually moved out after Ashley had, had graduated. That was one of the things we promised we would help her get through school. And I was like, actually, I was living by myself in an apartment in Phoenix with very few responsibilities. That was a pretty yeah. chill time for me. And she was like, right. you, you know, um, but I, You're I think still paying for easy, that one. Yeah. Oh, totally. The easiest comparison would be Ellis and Loic. And I think that's different because we had six and a half years from Ellis being a baby and going through all that. We, we hit restart again and it was like, Oh yeah. Like bottle warmers and diaper bags and travel cribs. And we had gotten so like svelte and lean with traveling with Ellis and she's so chill. Oh, yeah. and she's like an adult essentially. She's like that great firstborn. Like, you know, she knew how to take the train She'd give her a subway card and she'd swipe it through. And you know, we never let her go by herself, <laughs> but she totally could. 
And oh, she had it. She had for it. Sure. And so, you know, all of a sudden it was like back to this like needy thing that, you know, we got it bottled and is it warm enough and is it this and we're waking up at three. So it was like, I totally forgot about that whole side of fatherhood. Um, and so, and also Ellis being now eight and Loic two, clearly we're parenting differently, right? Because the expectation yeah, yeah. is similar. So their age differences really makes it hard to compare like, oh, well, we're raising Ellis this way or we're raising Loic this way. So, you know, I think what we found so powerful with Ashley is just mirror like as as we're living our lives and continuing to love each other and and this is what we do as a family whatever that speaks more volumes than us trying to assess like okay with Loic we really need to be doing this way but with Ellis um, so that that's kind of how how it's going the one of the bigger yeah. changes though one of the bigger shifts obviously is um, in our awareness Loic is African American our awareness of I would say our, I would say mine. My wife is, is a much better person in human than I am, but my connectedness <laughs> to the African-American community in a way that just an awareness, uh, you know, my son is a black son who will be living in our society. And yeah. we see very frequently that that's not always the easiest position to be in. And so, yeah. you know, he's brought a new element of, um, awareness in much the same way in a different way but very similar to how when when my daughter was born all of a sudden I was like oh yeah I guess pay equality is important because now I have a daughter and I want her yeah. to be making the same as the guy if she's doing the same yeah. job you know or like yeah. oh wow I guess a Disney movie about a princess who's the lead and she's empowered is important because I want my daughter to be important so, uh, oh, empowered. I know. so you just okay. become aware yeah I relate to that so much that's such a thing like I did not realize how important uh, representation was until right. I started watching my my three kids see commercials and watch TV and like seeing the shows that they're drawn to are the kids that look like them or I notice how much more diversity are in almost every commercial you see on TV right now and yep. I think it would have gone over my head previously yep. but now I'm yep. like Oh, this is really cool. And I really appreciate this. Within that, though, I wanted to get into your dad from the standpoint of like, what did you learn from your dad in, within your own fatherhood that you're implementing? And then what is something that maybe growing up that he did or didn't do that you're kind of like actively like that didn't work on me. So I'm going to switch it up and, and do it this way. I think it's a tough question. But the as I was reflecting on this, I'm, I was thinking that something I really appreciated about my dad was that he never like he was supportive of whatever I was interested in. Like he never pushed what he wanted me to do on me. And he even, he owned his own business and had since he was like 18 years old, he never tried to push me into the family business or things like that. He like, I was actually interested in aviation as a kid. So yeah, you were a pilot for a little bit. I, I was, I, saw I was an airline here. pilot for, eight and a half years before yeah. the nonprofit. So that was a big That's part cool. of my life too. And so I took my first flying lesson at 13 and he was super supportive of that. And I mean, water sports were a big part of my childhood as well. And when I 
even though he loved water skiing, when I switched from water skiing to wakeboarding, he would pull me for hours behind the boat, oh, wakeboarding. Religious. And, it's almost like from right? skiing to snowboarding, right? There's like such a tension there. It's so funny that he was like, yeah. it's okay. My son told yeah. me he likes to wakeboard. I would do that before I went tubing or something uh, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, right, the, right. It was a trade-off. Right. You yeah. can't tube first. You can't tube first. Um, and then I feel like that even carried into and has carried into adult life. Like, you know, we were just talking about how you still need your, your family, even when you're older, that, that safe place, that Mm -hmm. security. And when I decided to quit my job as an airline pilot to take our nonprofit full time, I mean, that was a hugely emotional and difficult decision for me. And I know, you know, my dad helped me, both my parents helped me build my aviation career. And I was kind of just like tossing that out the window, which could cause a parent to be like, you can't do that. Yeah, and you know how much we spent, we, how much, yeah, do you know how much hours? we spent and, yeah. and think about what you're giving up. And I was definitely thinking about all that. And, you know, they definitely had questions and, you know, wanted to know where my head was and all that. But ultimately he supported me in that and didn't make me feel bad about it. And I just, I feel like I want to give that same thing to my kids. And so we've tried to not push them into anything. I mean, I, my, my kids do wakeboard, but I'm not trying to make them professional wakeboarders and, or anything like that. And, yeah. uh, so yeah, that's something I want to continue on I and hopefully that. I can do even when they make decisions when they're older that I may not agree with is find yeah. a way to instill wisdom and then love and support and make them know that I'm there for them no matter what, even if it goes poorly and it was a bad yep. decision. That's powerful. That's that side. And then I think the acti- actively leaving out, I think I can't help but go back to my parents did get divorced when I was a kid. Okay. And how old were and, you? Uh, they had, they had trouble from when I was pretty young, but they okay. ended up working it out and staying together. But then when I was a senior in high school is when, and I was getting ready to leave home when things kind of just kind of came crumbling to an end. Um, and you know, both of my parents played in the downfall of the marriage. They, and I've talked to them about this. They would both admit that. And, but now being married myself, I can only imagine the strain. I I, like, I could see how much of a strain on your relationship trying to work out all those tough times would be that it would leave less energy. I feel like that my dad would have for me. Like there was a lot of distractions with that. And I didn't really then have that kind of that example of marriage to Mm. to look up to um and they were great parents despite that and they loved us well and they have a great relationship today but i think i want to try as best i can to model that healthy relationship for my kids and keep like they've already had so much loss in their life from such a young age that i'm going to give it everything i've got to try to like make sure that this relationship with me and my wife stays intact because I know there is deep security in that for them. And that's not the only reason, but that's just one of the reasons is for them as well. Yeah. I think that's powerful. And and clearly, I mean, simply statistically speaking, a lot of the dads that I've spoken with come from families of similar background, you know, parents are divorced, could be early on, could be later, could be single, you know, just raised by mom, you know, those types of things. I think all that informs, you know, your own fathering decisions. And, and I think, wow, that, you know, that element of, you know, this is where I was going to look. So, so if that was gone, where do you look now or where did you look? I mean, did you have, you you know, you have siblings and your brothers like, you know, he's a great leader or, you know, where do you get some of that? Like, 
um, uh, almost kind of mentorship, if if nothing else, just from you know mirroring from them. I mean, I definitely still ha- still do and got mentorship from my parents. Sure. But in that sense, I would say I've been fortunate to have really good community in my for most of my life and just really close friendships of people that I felt like I could be honest and vulnerable and would point me toward truth. And I feel like that's been really, really valuable and something that I still try to keep around me today because it's, it's easy to get isolated. And I found that's just like a dangerous place to, to be and to go. And so the more I can keep myself surrounded by other people who I love and trust and there's mutual respect, then I'm not, you know, bottling things up, keeping them myself, hiding things. I can, you know, work through things when they come up. That's powerful. I'm, I'm really glad that our culture seems to be more aware of the necessity of that, that connection, yeah, that community. Absolutely. That, hey, reach out, bro. If you're depressed, if you're sad, if you're just bummed, like let's, let's stay connected here. And, you know, I think whereas in the past it was like, oh, I'm just going to muscle through it or like, whatever, yeah. I don't need to deal with it. And it takes work on both sides of those relationships is like, you have to put yourself out there in a way that people know who you really are. So when you are going through a rough time, they can identify that, Hey, there's something off with them. Like they're not being themselves. Mm. And so that, cause I, I feel like sometimes you don't even have the energy to say, Hey, I need help. Like people yeah. have to be yeah. able to identify that in you, but they're not going to be able to do that if they don't, if they don't know you yeah, and they don't know true. the real you. I agree. And you know, unless you've had, again, mirroring, unless you've had good experiences with that, or you've seen people say, you know what, that's my bad. That's one of the things that a lot of the dads have talked about on here that, that they have kind of, they felt like they could never kind of let their guard down. That's how their dad kind of fathered. And so they were like, I want to be able to tell my kids I made a mistake because I wished my dad had said, you know what, my bad on that. Instead of trying to spin it, it was either the kid's fault or it was yeah. the world's fault or whatever to take ownership of that. And as a parent, to be able to tell your kid, you know what, I made a mistake. I'm sorry about that. Instead of this like authoritarian, never makes a mistake, it's always you know someone else's fault. So along those lines, I think that's powerful too. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I like to wrap everything up with dad advice. You've said so many great gems, dropped so many nuggets for, for dudes along the way. Leave all of our dads with some encouragement or advice or something like that to, to keep us going. I feel like this has to be really profound or something. It's, um, it's, it's often not, and yet it is. Yeah. It's the simple things. It's like, oh, such a good, such a good word. Yeah. All right. So, all right I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of, because this is kind of a, a little bit of the world that we both have our, we're in the deep end in is adoption and things yeah. like that. And so this is something that I learned from interviewing other adults who were adopted and now they've grown, like they were adopted as kids. They've grown up whether, uh, you know, transracial adoption or different stuff like that. Feel so fortunate that through our work and our podcast, I've gotten to talk to different people with these experiences. Cause it's, it's given me so much wisdom on how to help raise my own family in this thing that they've, that they've said that I think it's just good parenting advice in general also. But, um, I think with children who are adopted, the narrative for so long has been kind of this like, Oh my gosh, you're so lucky that you have this new family. Right. And like how fortunate this child is. 
And what we forget in that is how much pain there is in the loss, like we were saying, of your family of origin. And so then what that does is when a child does feel that pain of that loss, but it's met with, oh, but you should be so thankful and you should feel so lucky. It just makes them feel like they can't mourn or grieve or experience that pain in a way that they need to, right? And I think it's so easy just as a parent in general, when children come to you with, at the life stage you're at, problems that are just ridiculous, <laughs> the, the things that they're upset about, it's sure. insane, right? Yeah. It's so easy to meet that with, oh my gosh, just get over it. It's, it's not a big deal, but we're, we're just, you know, like pushing down that pain and not giving them the opportunity to work through it and deal with it. And so, especially with my children, like I want, I work to always make room for pain in their story. And even if that pushes against my insecurities as an adoptive father of like, if they are upset because they're, they don't have their birth family that doesn't, that can't speak to me then that I'm not a good dad or I'm not good enough. I, I, I try to allow them to have that cause it's very real and they need to be able to work through that. And we need to sit together with that and cry together if we need. And I just think that would go a long way with all of our kids is letting them feel those things and experience them. And not to say that anything goes then, and there's not a point where, in some situations we got to like suck it up and move on, but that doesn't mean that we just brush off that pain and not let them feel that. Wow. See, I told so. you that's huge. That's so powerful. <laughs> and so relatable. I think for dads, like you said, you know, like my joke earlier, the strawberry was cut, you know, in the wrong way. Like, what does that mean? It means that the kid doesn't have control. When I don't have control, I feel crazy. I feel and understanding these, uh, what that means and, and giving, ear to it even if it's just placating even if it's just like i'm so sorry that you had a you know a bad day at school today in the back of your mind you're like the russians are invading ukraine right now yeah. they're killing people so <laughs> right. suck it right. up but but that is their russia and ukraine at that moment is that they're expressing it because it matters yeah and that's okay that that's painful mm -hmm. for you and i understand that and more than that thing with you and so. I think so often, and I found this in my own life, like I have to check myself. It's so hard to think that something can be hard and it's okay in a coexisting way. I'm so quick to be like, how can, oh, I didn't get that job. Okay, yeah, but that means there's other great jobs out there. And I just like rush to the, to the win. I rush to the positive instead of really yeah. letting that really take its course. And that's something through therapy, years of therapy that my therapist was really keen at pointing out with me. And some of that's just, my own family of origin story as well. But you bring yeah. that up and I think that's powerful. I love it. Well, Nick yeah. Runyon, thank you for attempting fatherhood. Thank you for, for having this podcast. I love this. This is great. And yeah. even just getting to talk to you and hear your experiences, valuable to me and my, my parenting journey. So thanks for sharing. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to Attempting Fatherhood. My whole hope with this is that we build a community that encourages dads and that brings new information to the table and, and gets you excited about living your life, doing what you're doing. 
If you have felt that way, please make sure you rate us on Spotify, on Apple. Just rate us. Give us some stars, hopefully five. And make sure you share this. That's equally important. It's a great way to build community, to share this information with other dads. You know, start a text chain, whatever. That helps us. That helps you. We grow this community and all that. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Attempting Fatherhood. Again, thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.